It would have been a cruel summer if not for this moment. We're going to Taylor Swift. A huge milestone for Barbie today, the film crossing the billion dollar mark at the global box office. The theme of the economy this summer is spending. Let me say that again, a really surprising amount of spending. Kia ora, I'm Sarah Robson and today on The Detail. Women and girls of all ages are flocking to Taylor Swift, Beyonce and Barbie. Women are not to be underestimated. They lift up economies and that impact is not to be overlooked. In the US, they're calling it the summer of girl power. There is no question that a lot of our good economic news is coming from the ladies right now. The numbers, they're not insignificant. The Federal Reserve just produced a report on the economic impact of Taylor Swift. Apparently, she's adding $5 billion to the global economy. $5 billion. $5 billion with her tour. And here in New Zealand... 40,000 screaming fans. That's what Auckland can expect later today when international pop star Harry Styles takes the stage. Oi, oi, oi. Air New Zealand has come to the rescue. It has added 2,000 more trans-Tasman seats specifically to allow Kiwis to fly to Taylor Swift concerts in Australia. I thought the Ferns played great. They had really organised defence and they switched the fields a lot and just kept it together. I was so proud of them. How do you guys think the game wins? The game wins great and excellent. If there was a roof, they would have raced it. <laughs> Barbie, Taylor Swift, the FIFA World Cup. We speak to four young women for a New Zealand spin on why the cultural and economic power of women can't be ignored. Women in general have been really starved of kind of big popcorn blockbusters mm. that feel genuinely made for them. This is Alex Casey, senior writer at The Spin-Off and host of the Real Pod Pop Culture Podcast. We are, of course, talking about this. With Aussie movie star Margot Robbie as Barbie, she's on track to become one of the biggest blockbusters of the year. A dream for the filmmakers, which in turn has become a reality and a party for the fans. If you look at the top grossing female-led movies, there's a lot of superheroes, there's a lot of Star Wars, which is great, you know, for women protagonists in this space, but also very male-dominated mm. genres. And the only other kind of successful blockbusters with female characters at the helm are children's movies. They're Disney films. Yeah. They're um, Frozen, Alice in Wonderland, Beauty and the Beast, Finding Dory. So you've either got this kind of like superheroes or infantilized <laughs> kind of children's film. So I think that's a big part of what's driven it. This is like one of the first times we've had a big, bold, expensive blockbuster movie just made for us. Greta Gerwig's Barbie movie has opened to a record $155 million at the domestic box office. The smash hit Ode to Women delves a lot deeper than many would have expected from a historically controversial doll. The power of nostalgia is massive and that's mm. obviously not something that's just unique to women. But Barbie is super personal, you know, to a lot of people, no matter what they think about it. Everyone's got memories of either having a Barbie or coveting Barbie. Not being allowed a Barbie. Exactly. Or just having that, you know, that, that Barbie you really wanted that you never got. 
And I think that's a really, really big part of it. But also nostalgia in general is just having such a moment, you know, and I think we can chalk this up to maybe the internet breaking all of our brains and the kind of shared monoculture that we don't have a lot of stuff we all can kind of have these touchstones about anymore. There's a lot less things that are shared. So I think Barbie is one of those things that we all can relate to in some way. And I think the pandemic also had a big hand in that, you know, people wanting to return to the before times, as we (laughs) colloquially call them. You know, there's been a lot of research done that people turn to the past and they fall back on nostalgia in times of crisis. And I think that's a big part of it, too. Pink and joyful and like a pop concert and all this like joy and happiness. Mm. I think people are ready to like party in the movie theater. Hell yes, we are. It's also just a massive marketing success. Yeah. You know, this film had $150 million in marketing budget alone. And you can really feel that. It's It was everywhere. You know, we had billboards, we had... I watched terrestrial television for the first time in a long time and there was a Barbie ad every ad break. That's not something I've seen for a long, long time. Not to mention, you know, just the endless kind of press tour of Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling. The fact that she was wearing these incredible different Barbie-inspired looks at every red carpet. So there was like all this, an entire ecosystem around the film itself, Mm. which I think helped to propel it to being this massive cultural moment. I guess we're we're both millennials. We remember girl power the first time around. Long live the Spice Girls. Mm. You know, that in itself was such a turning point in terms of women in the spotlight and women in music in the spotlight. Why why did that sort of stop? And why are we sort of seeing, I guess, this renaissance just to play on Beyonce here? Of, of women being front and centre in popular culture. I'm really yeah, proud of that Beyonce reference, by the way. I mean, you did so well. Thank what you. an alien superstar, can I just say. That's another <laughs> reference. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I don't know that in pop music, and especially women ever really left. Mm. Like, you know, after the Spice Girls, we got Britney and Christina, and, you know, then, then we had Lady Gaga and... Now we've got Billie Eilish and Olivia Rodrigo and Taylor Swift. Like, for, I always sort of feel like pop music has always had really strong female pop stars. But you're right that that hasn't always translated into other parts of popular culture. And particularly movies, I think, is still a really big space that's completely male-dominated, you know. I know the Oscars are not always the most inclusive things to point to, but they can be a useful indication that we've only ever had, I think, three women win Best Director and only a handful more win Best Screenplay. So I think it's about who's telling the stories, you know, perhaps who's in charge of making these things and who's actually making the decisions. I looked up um, the big five film studios, which I think Sony, Universal, Warner Brothers. uh, Sorry, I wrote down their names. They're run by... Five white guys called David, Brian, Peter, Bob and Tony. Oh, boy. (laughs) And so they're running the big five film studios that basically set, you know the cultural mood for the world. And that's kind of, that's why we're getting, I think, what we're getting largely. Alex talked a bit earlier about the power of nostalgia. This is something Lucy Blackiston, co-founder of Shit You Should Care About, has written about in a recent piece titled On Being a Teenage Girl in Your Twenties. It means that 
Right now, the future feels so uncertain for so many of us. Um, and so all we want to do is go back to our teenage years. And I feel like the pop culture that's coming out at the moment. The huge one is obviously Taylor Swift, who is quite literally re-recording all the albums that we listened to or that I listened to as a teenager. So everything that I felt back then when I listened to those albums, they're now being re-recorded when she's a bit older and I'm a bit older, but they're taking you right back to how you were feeling and who you were back then. Not to mention Taylor Swift's Era's World Tour, which is quite simply a big budget career retrospective on stage. And then things like Gilmore Girls has had a reunion during the pandemic, I think it did, Gossip Girl, um, Zoe 101. We also have things like Harry Styles and Taylor Swift forcing us, not forcing us, but encouraging us to dress up and just lean into uninhibited joy when they have their concerts and sort of making us, you know, we used to dress up when we were kids. We used to love it. And it's sort of, you know, making us feel like we can do that as adults. Just everything is pushing us towards a bit of joy. And I think, why not? That's really cool. Love that for us. And why do you think this is kind of, shall we put it, a cultural moment in quote marks? Is it a cultural moment? It's definitely a cultural moment. I think if I don't want to be cynical and talk about the fact that it makes a lot of people a lot of money, for me, it's just that, you know, I'm in this position where I, like, am I ever going to be able to buy a house? Is the world going to burn down before I even have to think about that? And, you know, who knows? And so the disposable income that I sort of have now, the little bit of it, I'd rather spend, I actually said in the essay, I'd rather spend it on memories and not mortgages. And I just feel like I speak for, <laughs> I speak for a few people um, when I say that, because I know a lot of my friends feel that way as well, would rather just enjoy things now because who the hell knows what's next. About that disposable income. Kia ora and mabuhay. My name's Nina Santos. I'm the Comms and Advocacy Manager at YWCA Auckland, a proudly feminist women's organisation. And I'm Delivery Manager for the Mind the Gap campaign, which has um, been focusing on delivering pay transparency legislation. Young women now have far more earning power than they have had in decades previously. I mean... Just how stark is that difference these days? Yeah, and I mean, when we talk about this, it's really important to acknowledge that the strides we've made towards gender equality play into this, while also recognizing that uh, we have a long way to go. So yes, uh, women are um, more highly educated, and this wouldn't have happened traditionally because of you know traditional gender roles, aka the patriarchy, uh, which prohibited women from entering. Um, workspaces and getting higher education. Now that women have more of an earning capacity, we now have more freedom to choose what to spend on. But I also want to uh, preface this by saying that while we have made strides, you know, we still have uh, wider issues at play, like the gender pay gap, which we know are, is worse um, for ethnic women and Maori women and Pacific women, Asian women like myself, which can, you know, affect women of color spending power but in general in New Zealand uh, women's increased labor market participation has always driven economic growth and the fact that we now have more spending power means we have a stronger influence on the economy. 
Do you think decision makers, marketers, brands, people in positions of power really understand that economic power that particularly younger women have now? You know what? I don't think so. I think traditionally women's like the women's market, the women's economy has traditionally been seen as niche and um, unimportant. We know that's obviously not the case, especially you know in recent times when things like the FIFA Women's World Cup and the Barbie movie, the era tour, which has really emphasized women's spending power. Um, it's a huge market, but I don't think companies actually um, understand the power women hold. I put that down to how some businesses and a lot of our workplaces are still laden with bias and how in general, you know, things done by and things that center women are seen to be not as good. Some days I wake up and I'm like, I'm so glad I'm so glad I'm born in a generation where, you know, I as a woman of color can go to school and do a job that I want. But um, the reality is, there are still so many people that still ascribe to patriarchal and totally outdated gender norms. Like it shouldn't be up to women to keep convincing businesses and decision makers to take us seriously. But we might have to temper our expectations about women busting us and the US out of a recession. Time for a reality check from Infometrics economist Sabrina Swerdloff. Girl power spending is probably a pretty small proportion of overall consumer spending, and overall consumer spending is a small proportion of economic activity in the state. So I think to say that it's going to push them out of recession is maybe not true, uh, but that doesn't mean that the trends happening in women's spending aren't really important. Yeah, and I guess at a local level, that's where the impacts are really going to be felt, aren't they? Yeah, I think you're totally right. I think the real impact that we're seeing is on that local level, talking about sort of local movie theatres and restaurants and bars. That's where you're seeing the real impact. And I guess if we bring this to the New Zealand context, if we look at things like, say, the Barbie movie, we've seen, and I know, and I mean, coupled with Oppenheimer as well, you know, you've seen this sudden, like, urge. People are actually going back to movie theatres and they're going and making a night of it. They might have dinner before um, heading to the cinema or going out for drinks afterwards. I mean, what what sort of impact does that have on on a local economy? I think that it's a huge impact, especially when you consider those sort of um, flow-on effects so that when you have benefits to a local movie theatre and the people there are able to have a bit more income and then they're able to spend that in their local community, those are the sort of uh, flow-on economic impacts. Um, And I think that sort of we're coming into this stage post-pandemic where even though now we have access to a lot more services and uh, are able to go out more than we were to an extent, we're still limited because of this whole cost of living crisis. So just because we can go to restaurants doesn't mean that people are eating out every weekend because the fact is it's still really, really difficult for households to do that. But I think that with all these sort of, um, you know, girl power events going on, we've got the concerts, we've got the movies. I think it's giving people an opportunity to really let their money flow. And it's giving them an opportunity where they're actually getting a real bang for buck uh, with the services that they're um, buying. And I guess maybe maybe let's talk a little bit about the FIFA Women's World Cup. I mean, that has really sort of shown that women's sporting events can attract really diverse and different audiences. And obviously there's been a huge economic um, boost out of, out of that tournament. Does that sort of mean that there are some people who need to recalibrate their thinking in terms of what's going to attract a big audience and what people are actually going to go and spend their money on? 
Totally. So I think that we're really breaking down this traditional view that sort of men's sporting events and uh, live entertainment that's targeted to men is the market. Historically, sports events have attracted seed funding from government to attract the likes of a World Cup or an America's Cup. We've got three Women's World Cups in a two-year period. Um, how great would it have been to have Taylor Swift, a woman in her own right in leadership, to come to our national stadium? So I think that the entertainment industry is sort of starting to catch up to the fact that women have real spending power. And I think that, you know, when we think about the broader context of women's spending power, it's got a pretty grim history. So, you know, in the US, women only gained the right to open a bank account in the 60s. And even then, it required a husband's signature. And then in New Zealand, even in the 90s, you often had women told they needed to pay a much higher deposit on a mortgage than men, which locked them out of the market. And then, you know, also considering the sort of pay differential on top of that, we're talking about a system that's really focused on making sure that women can't spend money and can't spend it on what they want to buy. But now we're moving into this uh, sort of period of time where women, not only do you have more women working, but you have women having more money that's showing that sort of women are able to direct these trends in the entertainment industry. Diehard Swifties booking flights to her shows across the ditch before concert tickets have even gone on sale. It's something like I have to experience. It's like once in a lifetime. Here's Lucy Blackiston again. I think at the same time as people started moving from calling young fans hysterical and obsessive, they also, the cunning ones, and I don't know who I'm talking about when I say they, I'm just meaning anyone that makes money off of young women specifically, Um, but I think they also realised, oh, uh, they also spend a lot of money on going to concerts and buying the merch and buying beads to make friendship bracelets. And I think maybe I'm just more aware of it. I don't know if it's if it's a brand new thing, but it's definitely, as you would say, a cultural moment. And I would say they, whoever they are, are making a bit of money off of it. But is there anything wrong with spending your money on things that are going to bring you joy? Nina Santos. Before I answer this question, I just want to preface it by saying that, you know, there is a certain privilege attached to the life's too short. I've got to go have fun mindset. But yes, within my peers, I am seeing more and more of that YOLO mindset you're coming in. Like, you know, we've had really lo- rough few years of the pandemic. And now, and even social media, you see trends like the Dink era, D-I-N-K. So the dual income, no kids, and people just want to be out there and live their lives and spend as much as they can. Dressing up and going to see the Barbie movie together yeah. and maybe going out for <laughs> dinner beforehand kind of thing. Personally, I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. And the, the, the big, you know, great war to get era store tickets you know, I live that. And when I stop to think about it, it's like, oh, I know there are more important things in life. Like I should probably be saving up for a mortgage. But things like with the state of our economy, sometimes bigger goals like that can seem really out of reach. Hence why I think that also feeds into the the YOLO live in the moment mindset. Because this socioeconomic climate makes it really hard for a young people to achieve things like buying a first home and um, setting up a savings account. So yeah, I I think that feeds into it as well. Sabrina Swerdloff. I actually think that there's another sort of interesting side uh, conversation to have here about how this sort of, um, you know, hyper consumption that we're encouraging, which is really exciting and does deliver, you know, so many positive economic impacts, that there's often a lot of pollution and stuff as well that goes along with that. Think Harry Styles encouraging people to take feather boas to his concerts or a dramatic uptick in demand for plastic Barbie dolls. And so personally, when I'm thinking about, you know, what 
what do I think that the future of girl power spending is, I do think that there's going to be a shift or hopefully a shift towards some more sustainable mechanisms. So for me, I'm thinking about if I'm going to go see a concert with the girls, maybe we'll do a clothing swap beforehand rather than, um, you know, going out to Glassons and buying new dresses. And Obviously, that sort of detracts from, um, you know, the headline economic impact. But I think when we're thinking about the sort of environmental externalities, so these harms that we cause through our consumption that the environment, um, you know, didn't ask for, I think that we're sort of going to have to balance those things as we um, as we move forward. But let's get back to Alex Casey and the gender expectations that persist in popular culture, what's considered high culture and what's maybe more lowbrow. Remember, Barbie opened in cinemas the same day as Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer. I mean, I do think it's very interesting, particularly again with Barbenheimer and what Christopher Nolan kind of represents and the prestige that comes with his movies versus if you told people you're going to Oppenheimer versus you told people you're going to the Barbie movie, you sometimes get different responses. I definitely know, particularly like men that I know who have gone to the Barbie movie have had a different response to if they had said they were going to Oppenheimer. So I think that's definitely still there. But I do think kind of low culture, I'm thinking not just about kind of big popcorn movies, but also things like reality television. Yeah, They also provide these moments of conversation and talkability and urgency that you only get alongside things like succession. And you know that those kind of big prestige TV dramas, they actually sit pretty nicely alongside each other Mm. in terms of talkability and these big moments. They're both kind of as important as each other. I don't think they cancel each other out. I don't think Barbie will win an Oscar. (laughs) Alex Casey's Oscar predictions (laughs) coming to you live on the detail. (laughs) But I also don't think that really matters very much. You know, I, I also think, and this is something that bothers me personally about Barbie, the lengths that it goes to to kind of strain and make all these points about women and feminism and politics and stuff within what could also just be like a big stupid movie about a toy that, you know, a lot of the big popcorn Marvel films don't have to do that. You know, like it sort of bothers me that still these things made for women have to kind of earn their place by making these big statements and moving the needle and being progressive And yeah, I just don't think like a multi-million dollar movie made by a toy company can ever be that progressive, unfortunately. That's it for today. I'm Sarah Robson. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Today's episode was engineered by William Saunders. It was produced by Alexia Russell and Bonnie Harrison. And thanks to Alex Casey, Lucy Blackiston, Nina Santos and Sabrina Swidloff. Ka kite anō. 